Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Overpowering Emotions. This is our summer skill building series. I'm talking about how we can develop our kiddos' emotion regulation skills. I'm focusing on self-awareness. Last week, I talked about raising our awareness of the physiological and the cognitive aspects of emotion. There's five parts. Today, I'm going over the third part, and that's really raising self-awareness of the behavioral aspect of emotion. And really, you know, I want to talk today... Um, it's foundational really for all behavioral management that, that we work on any behavior. If you're working on any behaviors, this is going to be really helpful to understand the, the emotional part, the cognitive part. Oftentimes though, we can bypass that and go straight to the behavioral part. Anyways, this is a huge part of that regulation. We want to make sure that we're having aware awareness. So when we're talking about these behaviors, that includes our body language. It's not at just what we do. It's even our body language. We start to see shifts and, and this is important. I even work with kiddos with Tourette's, for example, and we're really observing the body language, what's happening physiologically right before they tick, but also also the body language, because there's lots of signs and, and, and indicators when, when we're working on these things. So it's not just what we do when big emotions come up. It's also that piece. So when we look at anxiety, for example, that might include avoidant behaviors, right? What are the things that they tend to avoid? Um, if we look at irritability or anger, um, maybe it's denied requests. Maybe it's sibling messing with their stuff right? So we can start looking at those behaviors, what we start seeing based on what's happening around us. So getting kids thinking about the things that they might be avoiding, the things, the times that they start becoming aggressive, that they start tensing up their body. And so that's the, the physiological, like the body language piece, right? My face is scrunching up, my, I'm, my fists are coming up into a ball. I'm ready to punch somebody. Um, so, so looking at those can be really helpful. Now, when we look at the behaviors, we don't want our kiddos to think that they're bad, right? We don't want to get them defensive. It's not about blaming. And this is why things like zones of regulation often aren't helpful because kids see the red zone as a bad zone. So they're never going to admit that they're yellow or red because they think they always need to be in green. And so when we're looking at the self-awareness, we never want them to think that there's a bad sort of behavior or a bad kind of reaction, especially the automatic reactions. It's just the way it is. And what, which ones are helpful for you, right? Sometimes we have to hit somebody. If we're defending ourselves, if we're getting beaten up, maybe that's something that we need to do. So we don't want to have those black and white things, but it's just looking about in that moment, what's going to be most helpful for you in that moment. So again, we're talking about the trickster henchmen, right? That who like to pull that fire alarm to ring that amygdala causing chaos, getting people in trouble, creating conflicts and friendships. We want to focus. It's not about the kid. They're not doing anything. That's why we want to externalize it. These trickster henchmen that like to cause problems, right? And so then we can focus on the behaviors that result in problems for them, which behaviors are going to lead to good results, which behaviors are going to probably not be helpful for you in these situations, not for us as adults. And that's really important, right? We usually will go on to long lectures. You need to study, you need to do your homework because you need to get good grades and you need to do this and you need to do that, you know, or maybe you got to keep your cool so that I don't get frustrated. It's not about the adults. It's not about us. It's about what's meaningful for them. 
right? If we're trying to get them to do their homework so that they get good grades, that's not going to be very motivating for a kiddo who doesn't care if they get good grades, right? It's just like, yeah, 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 whatever, right? So it's got to be what's important for them, what's helpful for them, what's meaningful for them. So if children don't like getting in trouble all the time because they're yelling or they're kicking, right? Um, If they don't like friends saying, I don't want to play with you anymore because they're calling their friend names or, you know, they flip the board when their friend wins a game, right? Um, Or maybe they just want to go to a sleepover on their own without the mom having to check in and text all the time and come pick them up, you know, at 10 o'clock or something like that. So it's what is meaningful for them. Um, Again, video, I've talked about video modeling last week, we can use videos of other people to highlight how big emotions are showing up for them behaviorally. So within their body language, how do we know they're starting to get frustrated? And then what are they doing with that frustration as well, right? And then we're going to start bringing it back to the child or the teen or or whoever we're working with. So understanding the behaviors, it's going to be really important later on. Right now, we're just raising the awareness. So we want to make sure we've got examples of what that trickster henchman, what they like to do when that amygdala is rung, right? When those big emotions start to show up. So maybe it's spitting at Bobby when I lose a game. Maybe it's screaming at mom when she made me go to school. Maybe it's punching a hole in the wall when I had to go to the dentist. Um, maybe it's hiding my suitcase when we had to go to the airport because I didn't want to leave. Maybe it's leaving the sleepover at 10 o'clock at night, right? Or ignoring friends after I have a new haircut or always just wearing a hat for like two months after a new haircut. Swearing at a friend who didn't text you back, right? those, those kinds of things. So, so what are those situations? So when we understand when those henchmen sort of show up, that's why we want to talk about those. It's just to help bring those awareness pieces up. So once they have the awareness of their behaviors, then we're going to actually get them to monitor their behaviors, right? And this is where video modeling again, can be really helpful. So I'll talk a little bit about that before, um, for today. Um, but they can have a really hard time. Like I said, last time, they have a really hard time knowing what calm feels like and what's happening in their body. Same thing with behaviors. They have a really hard time knowing, is this a helpful adaptive behavior or is this a problematic maladaptive behavior, right? A lot of the time we'll say, just calm down. I am calm, right? If we say, Hey kiddo, don't yell at me. I'm not yelling. It's usually the opposite way with parents, right? But anyway, they don't actually see that. So a a lot of times we need to start with what's called discrimination training. Again, we can't just talk to our kids and assume that they know. When they're sitting calm or if they're watching a video, they're going to know what's a helpful adaptive behavior, what's a maladaptive unhelpful behavior. And even in my my office will do little role plays. You tell me, dude, if I'm doing something like a helpful response or an unhelpful response or thumbs up, if it's helpful, thumbs down, if it's not, if they don't want to talk, you know, and I'll be like, mom, you can't take my Nintendo away. Thumbs down. That was not helpful, Caroline. Okay. Hey mom, I'm, I'm upset that you took my Nintendo away. Can we talk about it? Yep. 
Caroline, thumbs up. That's helpful, right? So that's just being able to, to discriminate. <clears throat> now, those situations, they probably can tell, but in the moment, they have a really hard time. They're just so blinded with their emotion and so feeling justified in whatever their behavior is. So when we're doing this discrimination training, it's really identifying what's the target behavior, the expected behavior, what we hope to see versus the maybe one that's not going to be helpful for you. And again, it's not about us. It's about what's not helpful for you. And we want to do that over repeated sessions. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to use responding in a cool, calm voice as an example, because that's early on, you know, one of the first things I trained my girls before they were even two, you know, I was, was teaching them to be able to respond in a cool, calm way. So again, the video self models can be really important. We want to video them responding in different ways. And you might want to set it up as a practice, right? And so then we can go back and we're going to look at it. We're going to have some performance feedback and then we're, you know, going to discriminate, do that discrimination training. But then eventually we want to get to a point they don't know they're being filmed, which can be a problem in and of itself. I, I get that. But um, it's really interesting, though, if they know that they're being filmed, not as a practice session, because, you know, we'll do little skits and stuff they know that they're being filmed it's being set up but if they know they're being filmed in the heat of the moment it's almost like a behavior magic trick you know especially when parents are like hey I'm just filming this for Caroline it's like 360 or 180 you know change in their behaviors completely um, but let's just go back to this video modeling because I have talked about it a couple of times so let's jump into that with more detail because it definitely is becomes important once we start getting to the behaviors versus the physiological and and thoughts, the cognitive piece, but video models are really great to help kids learn how to actively interpret information and make meaning from the information that they're, they're, they're seeing, right? So first we want to train the kiddo to discriminate between, in this case, I, I think it's like cool, calm responding, right? So between what cool, calm talking responding is versus raising our voice just so that they can really understand the target behaviors that we're wanting. So when my girls were little, they knew that if they had to say, mommy, I'm ready, mommy, talk, right? They knew ex kind of exactly the volume level and the tone of voice that they needed. Because if they say, mommy, talk, they're saying the words, but it's not, no, mommy, talk, then I know that you're ready. Mommy, talk. No, mommy, talk, then I know you're ready. Mommy, talk. Hey, kiddo, thanks for letting me know. Um, obviously, it's going to be more, more mature for older kids and for, for adults and teenagers, obviously. But that's, you know, young kids, 16, 18 months old, they can learn these things too. But this is really done over several sessions. So it's not just a sit one and done, right? We're, we're working on this, we're practicing. And we want to make sure that they master that first skill of discriminating between that's helpful, that's not, and in my own behavior behaviors and especially in the heat of the moment before we're moving on to the next step. So oftentimes they need lots of different trials and sessions to cover each of the skills. So depending on the functioning of the child, the first session, it might be giving examples of what the target cool, calm responding is versus unwanted yelling, screaming, sliding down in the chair, spitting, right? Again, you can use different children, use different videos. Kate, thumbs up for the kiddos who are responding in a cool, calm way, what we're looking like. Let's show, I'm going to show you what cool, calm is. You show me now let's look at videos what does that look like versus a more emotional reaction so that's what we want to make sure that they understand so the very effective next step 
um, to use video models is where we're taping the kiddo interacting with someone maybe. So maybe it's with their sibling, maybe it's with a peer um, and get a few samples when the kiddo is calm, having fun, they're in a good mood, they're doing their thing, they're in flow versus they're getting frustrated, they're getting upset. And it doesn't even have to be interacting. It could be, here's a worksheet that they're doing, they're feeling confident, it's fun versus a worksheet that's boring or challenging, right? And then you're going to watch together. So you and the kiddo, you're going to rate behaviors, cool and calm response or whatever the target behavior is versus the emotional response, right? Henchman response, Jimmy's cool, calm responses, Jimmy's henchman's responses. So let them lead, really let them lead. And then you can prompt them by asking questions if they're having a hard time. Like, I don't know if that was a cool, calm response. Well, let's look at your face, right? What do you notice on your face? What do you notice with your hands? Are you still looking at the teacher or are you, you know, so just kind of giving those open-ended questions can be really helpful. You want them to then reinforce accurate recording. We're not reinforcing whether they were cool and calm or emotional, even if they're emotional, their ability to accurately say, yeah, I was emotional. That's huge. That's what we're reinforcing. So again, a lot of problems with a lot of things like zones of regulation is kids just think red zone is bad. So they're never going to admit when they're in the yellow or red zones, they're always going to think green because green is where it's good. So when we're doing this modeling, it's about the accuracy. That's what they're being reinforced in. Okay. So that's, what's going to help raise their self-awareness. So it doesn't matter if you are overly emotional and you hit, especially when we're just watching the video after the fact, it's just rating the accuracy, okay? Because oftentimes kids will say, I was on task. I responded cool and calmly just to access reinforcement, right? Because if I'm calm, then I'll get reinforcement. No, at this beginning stage of self-awareness, reinforcement that's given on the accurate recording doesn't matter what their behavior was, if they were emotional or not. It's just building that awareness. So we got to know what is the skill and the skill is being aware. And so that's what we're reinforcing when they are aware and accurate in their awareness. So even if they're screaming, they get that reinforcement during the trial sessions for identifying that they were being emotional. And again, we're not doing it in the heat of the moment. We're watching these videos. If you can't get videos, it's okay to go back. Okay. Hey, Earlier, when you were playing Lego and your sister walked in, let's talk about that, right? Was it a henchman response or was it a, a Sally response? So just let's talk about that. So once they can rate themselves accurately with those prompting supports, then we're going to move on to have them rate their behaviors with no prompting. So we're not there to help them. We're not there to support them. So if they, you know, when we're prompting earlier, we want errorless teaching where they're always accurately getting the responses, but soon we're going to see can they do it on their own, right? And so then we're going to provide feedback regarding the accuracy of their rating, right? And so maybe you're going to rate, I'm going to rate those instances. We're going to pause the video. Do we match? Okay. And if we match, your rating is the same as my rating. You get reinforcement, right? Because we're on the same page. But if they don't match, we want to talk about it. And, and, and you can then still praise their thoughts and hey that was a good idea I wasn't thinking about that um why do you think I said it wasn't actually on task you know like let's have that conversation because that can be really helpful for them 
So then from there, once we they they understand target versus um, desirable versus undesirable behavior in those situations, and they're starting to be able to self-monitor as they're watching that. Again, we want them to videotape kiddos interacting again, but now they're going to independently monitor their behaviors in real time at the same time. So, Kate, we're going to record, and then maybe you can have a cue. Maybe it's a bell you know, maybe it's a, an alarm on a phone, something that goes off to, to tell the kiddo right now in this moment, am I speaking in a cool, calm way or am I being more emotional? So then you can record that. And so when we go back to watch the videos, we can look, see what our recording was and watch and do our, do our ratings match. So this is how we build that video modeling. So once that video of the self model phase, when, when we're doing that, it's really to help with the discrimination training, you know, that's that part's completed, but it's them starting to self monitor in the moment. Because again, I said this last time, oftentimes they understand it, they get it, they can see it in other people, but they never identify in the heat of the moment, that point of performance, that's where it all falls apart. They can't self monitor when they're getting upset, right? Um, but we want to make sure first they understand that discrimination training and that they can actually accurately record themselves. Then we can move to the intervention phase. So this isn't even changing things. This is just the self-awareness because if they don't have the self-awareness, it doesn't make sense to put in a behavior management plan or emotion management plan at all because it's not going to go anywhere if they're not aware, right? So we got to make sure that we're un uh, they're understanding what's going on. They got to understand, is this a helpful response in the heat of the moment? They got to know that that's the first critical step. And it's often overlooked. We just throw in a, a plan whether it's for anxiety or frustration tolerance or behavior management, but we're never looking at that first step. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what I'm supposed to do, but they don't actually have the skill of doing what they need to do in the moment, right? Just expecting kiddos to know and to implement what they know. It's not helpful. And especially when they don't have that awareness and ability to self-monitor in the moment. So that's a critical first step. Then we get to the intervention, right? We can continue using videos. If you've already been using videos, you can continue using that. And, and here we're learning the chain reaction of a situation, okay? So for example, maybe they're playing on the iPad and all of a sudden it dies. What do I feel, right? What are the different parts of emotion? Well, there's the physiological piece. So of the emotion of frustration, physiological piece of the chest, and I can feel tightness in my throat right? So the, the trickster henchmen ring that fire alarm, the amygdala, it takes over our thinking brain. We feel the tightness and the thought, they might not be aware of the thought and that's okay. The behavior is the most important thing that they need to be aware, of. but maybe the thought is now I've lost my place. I'm going to die, right? Or I've lost all of the progress that I've made. That's probably later on what they start thinking of, but there's that thing that's going to just contribute to the behavior. And the behavior is to yell at their parents, you didn't plug in my iPad, it's your fault, right? And then throwing the closest thing at them, <laughs> even though it's probably their responsibility, they're always going to blame somebody else, right? And so that's going to make their parents feel mad. So we see this chain reaction, iPad dies, I get frustrated, I yell at my parents, I throw something, they get mad. And then what happens? I get the iPad taken away for the rest of the day, maybe for the rest of the week, right? 
how was that for you? Did you like that outcome? No. Right. And then they're going to feel more frustrated. And then it's just this vicious cycle. So we want to see that chain reaction. So we want to get the buy-in of, I don't want that to happen. I want to keep my iPad, right? I want to be the boss of my own brain so I can still have my iPad for the rest of the day and for tomorrow, right? And I would write this all out on a flow chart, you, you know, just to have that visual because it's still very concrete or sorry, it's very abstract. So we want to make it concrete. And that's why I love doing a flow chart so they can see that visual. So option one, right? iPad dies. Um, I feel frustrated. I start yelling. I start throwing. Mom's mad. No iPad. What's an alternative? Okay. iPad, same situation, same event. Feeling is still automatic. We have no control over those feelings that are going to come up, but I recognize that it's my henchman trying to get me in trouble. So even though I'm frustrated, I say, oh, I'm, I use my words and say, oh, I'm frustrated. My iPad ran out of batteries. I need help. Whatever it is, whatever that response is going to be, that's the piece that we're going to practice, right? And we're going to put them in the situation over and over and over and over again so that they can build up, oh, I'm frustrated. I need help. Or, oh, I'm frustrated. What can I do? Right? So that's the piece we're going to start practicing. How do you think mom and dad are going to feel when you use your words? Well, they're probably going to be okay. They might show me more empathy, right? Do you get your iPad taken away? No, I get to keep my iPad. Okay, cool. What's another alternative? So we can start looking at those chain reactions. And it's not about feeling frustrated. It's not about even the iPad, the trigger that makes them frustrated or angry. That's not what it's about. It's not about the frustration. It's about the behavior, what we do with that frustration, right? Same thing with anxiety. I get scared scared, you know, um, something's going to happen at the sleepover. And so uh, I call home, then mom gets worried, mom comes pick me up, and I have to go home. So that's one alternative. So here's another one, I get scared, because again, that's probably going to happen, we got to expect these emotions to show up. It's not about getting rid of the emotions. It's about uh, there it is, what am I going to do, so that I have a good outcome for myself, you know, so I want to stay. I don't want other kids to say I'm a baby. I don't want to feel like a baby. I want to stay. So what are the things that I can do so I can still stay? And we're going to have that out on a flow chart and it can be helpful. It becomes a coping card for them to remind themselves, oh yeah, henchmen have shown up. They're trying to get me to stay home or to go home. I'm feeling really anxious, but this, these are the choices that I'm going to make right? We have zero control over frustration about the feeling of frustration. So we can't tell them not to be frustrated. That's impossible. And we never want to use those sort of elimination strategies to get rid of the frustration. That's why things like just breathe, just calm down. It's not going to be helpful because we're sending the message of don't be frustrated. That's impossible. Don't think of a white bear, whatever you do, don't think of a white bear, right? They're going to feel whatever it is that they're going to feel, but they can make a choice about what they do with that frustration. That's the point. They have a choice. And that's where we're focusing on the self-awareness. And that's where the video modeling can help them see that chain reaction. So my choice is I can freak out and yell and throw things and lose the iPad, 
or I do something else so that I can keep my iPad privileges. So brainstorm with them. What are all the things that you could do instead? I could hit my sister instead. How do you think that's going to work out, right? I could break my iPad. I could go plug it in. I could um, plug it in and grab the other iPad, right? Um, I could plug it in and go play a game or go for a bike ride, find something to do while it charges, right? Um, maybe they can plug it in and then keep playing once it's plugged in. I don't know, right? Asking for help. So it's just brainstorming all of the things. Maybe I can't find my charger. So let's look at some obstacles. Now you can't find your charger, right? So maybe they're calm at first. Oh, my iPad. Okay, I'm going to go plug it in. I can't find the charger. Mom, what did you do with the charger? You took it, right? Um, not helpful. So what are some other ideas that you can come up with? And now let's go practice. We're going to practice. I'm going to give you a, an iPad that's got 1% or, or I'm just going to turn it off. We're going to pretend it, it shuts down. I'm going to turn off the video game or whatever. And your job is to practice responding to those emotions in a helpful way, right? So the only way to choose a different action is to create a pause, we got to create a pause. And that's what we're doing when we're looking at video modeling in any of these pieces is to teach them the pause. That's the skill. Okay. It's to create a pause between the triggered event that triggers the amygdala and the emotion and the behavior. There's a gap there. Oftentimes they don't, they're just so automatic that amygdala just takes over so quickly. They just react. So we want to create a bigger and bigger gap there so that they actually can make a choice. That's where we're going to target making adaptive choices, right? So we teach a skill, we teach a new behavior, whatever it is in that gap, but we got to create that gap in the first place. And so we need help for them to be able to see and notice and realize that there is a choice here, that there is a gap here. Again, watching other videos can be really helpful, especially if you see somebody pause, somebody breaks their toy, you can see the pause. Ah, oh, there's the gap. What are they going to do? Oh, he decided to, you know, henchman took over and he punched the kid in the face or this kid got upset, cried, but cleaned up the mess and walked away. Right. But there was a gap. Let's pause. And now we want to practice that pause with you, right? We can't just say, hey, next time this happens, just plug it in, right? Hey, next time this happens, just walk away. We're always telling kids that, but we're not helping them create that skill of creating the gap to be able to think about and, and make those choices. Ideally, we want to make those new choices, the adaptive choices, so automatic. And that's where practice is going to come in. So that becomes their new automatic response so that they don't even have to think about it. But we do need to create that pause, right? Their current emotional reaction is so automatic, they can't just start simply doing something else. And that's why parents and teachers and people are getting so frustrated because we're just telling them, they're like, yep, 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 they know, but they've never practiced that emotional pause, right? So we want to make a new automatic behavior. So they need to have structured teaching trials. So we're setting up the stressor on purpose. And I do this with anxiety, it's exposure therapy, but we do it with frustration tolerance or anger. We have kids practice the skills that they need to be able to tolerate and cope with that stress. Again, a cue card could be the flow chart. It could be a mantra, whatever it is, can be really helpful to remind them of the options that they have. Because remember when they get stressed, their thinking brain shuts down. It's completely immune. 
to whatever's going on once the amygdala sends off those alarms. So going into that situation with that cue card and, and again, structured teaching. So we're being proactive. So they already know what's to come and what the expectation is, and then have practice using that cue card that can help them remember some other, some of those other choices. And now they've got experiences to draw from, oh yeah, pause and then go. Right. And so we teach them to change their lens by doing things differently, by experiencing different outcomes. That's where we're going to rewire the brain. That's where we're going to start creating changes. It's not about talking. So the other piece when we're looking at managing the behaviors is to get kiddos to self-evaluate their behavior. It's very difficult for them to do. I've already kind of talked about this. I love using experience to scale situations. So like, for example, a bump scale. This was something that I had developed actually many years ago, probably two decades ago, working with um, autistic kiddos who, you know, someone might accidentally bump them in the hallway and it's a big freak out. Now it's a bully and they were beating me up. Right. And so we want to use this bump scale and that's where this came from. So, you know, on a scale of one to 10, 10 is a kid comes up to you and says, Billy, I hate you. I'm going to punch you in the face. And they punch you in the face. That's a 10, very obvious, that it's directed to you very intentional, right? So that's a 10 and they break your nose. One is maybe you're putting your stuff in the locker and you've got your backpack on your back and somebody accidentally brushes your, your backpack as they're walking by in the hallway. That's a one, right? Like it wasn't even you that they were touching. It was your backpack that was on your shoulder, right? So are they trying to beat you up? and trip you, right? Um, maybe they do accidentally trip you or somebody pushes them and they fall into you. Where on this bump scale would that be, right? So you can use those scaling and use experiences that they've had. Because in the moment, kids have a real hard time understanding just everything is danger. Everything is I'm under attack. Someone's punching me in the face, right? So that, that can be a problem. So they're automatically going to freak out. They're not taking in any contextual information. You touched my stuff. You pushed me, right? And so by being able to scale things, take in the moment, scale things versus adults telling them, just calm down. It's not a big deal. It was just an accident. They're never going to hear that but we need them to start determining how big of a deal is this, right? What is the most appropriate response? But again, they need structured teaching situations to be able to learn this. You could use a difficulty scale, right? How hard is this worksheet gonna be if you've got a kiddo who's got really low frustration tolerance or a perfectionist, right? How hard is it going to be? 10 being completely impossible. It's, you know, PhD level work, um, one being it's like kindergarten, super easy, right? Where do you think this is going to be? What can we do to make it a little bit easier or a little bit harder? Maybe it's a want to scale. Maybe it's a uncomfortable, awkward scale. Getting into that practice of scaling can be really helpful for kiddos because A, they're starting to feel empowered over the situation and it's going to help them start deciding what's the best course of action because they're always going to say it's a 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. But if they never learn how to discriminate between what a 10 is versus a three, that can be a problem. And when it comes to things like anxiety, again, everything's going to be a 10. It's the end of the world. If I throw up at school, oh my gosh, end of the world. But if I, and I go extreme, if I say, well, if 10 was actually, you were in such a severe accident, you lost all your limbs or you, you're paraplegic. That was a 10. 
how bad then do you think vomiting at school would be? Okay, Caroline, it's like a three. So now we're demoting those henchmen because henchmen want to be the general, right? They want to be the CEO of the, of the brain. And so by demoting it and saying, okay, it's not that much of an emergency. I thought it was an emergency, but it's not that much of an emergency. We're demoting it. That's fantastic. That's what we want to do. It's still there. The henchmen are still there. The anxiety, frustration, perfectionism, all of those things are still there, but we're demoting it, right? It's not a crisis right now. So, so that can be very empowering. Um, but of course, you know, there's still skill building. There's lots of practice responding in new ways. We can't just talk about it. So over and over, we want to make an automatic new response habit. So for my little ones, you know, my daughter, I always share the example. I remember by the time she was 18 months old, she knew oh, I'm frustrated. And so her first reaction would always be fist and then go march yourself into the pantry, grab a water bottle and go and shake it. Now at 18 months, that worked because we were always at home. And if we weren't at home, there was always a water bottle around, right? Or something that she could shake. But oftentimes we got to just be careful as they get older. I often say we want to make sure that that response is something they could do naked in the shower, because then we don't have to rely on always having a water bottle. It's just within themselves being able to, you know, I had one um, nonverbal little girl, really smart, but she, she was nonverbal, didn't have any way to express herself. And so she was fists and stomp, stomp, right? That was her thing that she would do. So that was her new automatic response versus, you know, lashing out and hitting somebody. So right now the focus is on the behaviors that do show up when, when the emotion, big emotions show up. So when we practice, I put kiddos in lots of different situations and I have them predict, first of all, okay, we're going to go into the situation. So I'm going to have you build up your Lego and I'm I'm going to have your sister come in and kick it down. Okay. So how, how are you going to feel? Where are you going to feel that in your body? What do you think is, stories might come up? Oftentimes they don't necessarily have stories and that's totally okay. What am I going to notice on your face? What am I going to notice about your body? What behaviors are going to show up, right? What are you going to, what do you think you're going to do? What are the feelings that might come in? Right. And then, okay, let's go into it. So we write down all the predictions and then we're going to go into it kiddo builds up Lego sister come kicks it down. Okay, cool. Let's look at our predictions. What was your prediction? Like, dude, you knew exactly what your body was going to look like and how you're going to respond and the feelings and all of those kinds of things. And it's really helpful to have kiddos practice identifying what's happening for them in that moment. And I'd start with calm. You don't have to go right into a frustration tolerance trial. Start with calm. What do you love to do? I love coloring. Okay, cool. Let's go color. What do you notice in your body right now? How are you feeling? Let's look at a wheeling, uh, a wheeling, a feel, a feelings wheel or feelings cards. Let's take a look at that. How are you feeling right now? Where are you feeling that in your body? Right? So we want to focus on doing that proactively right? So now we're incorporating the mindfulness component because that mindfulness piece, it's, it's about present awareness, present awareness and recognizing my emotion that's coming up, the physical sensations that come along with it and how that affects them, body language, and then the behaviors. And now you can start to create a, a, a chart that I sort of mentioned last time. When I'm calm, this is what my body's doing. This is what my behaviors are doing. When I start getting a little bit frustrated, this is what my body feels like. This is what my body looks like. This is the behaviors, what they look like, right? So really starting with that structured practice when they're calm, 
right? And then maybe you're going to have them do a little bit of a challenging task. Maybe you're playing a quick game with your sibling. And maybe one thing I do in my office is I often say, we're going to play a game and I'm going to win and I'm going to cheat to win. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I might even be mean. And so we're going to pay attention to what's happening for you when this happens. So I think the, the biggest point of all of this is you have to have those structured practice sessions. We can't just talk about it because they know they're not supposed to kick or yell or throw or scream or stomp or whatever it is. They know it. They just can't implement what they're supposed to do in that moment. So we're going to give them experience, experience. Kids learn from experience. The brain is wired through experience. We're giving them the experience of what they can be doing instead that are going to have bigger, better payoffs for them. Okay. So from structured practice sessions of eliciting certain situations, then you can start talking about upcoming real events, like the upcoming fire drill or the loud birthday party or the hard test or an art project. You know, if you've got a perfectionist, for example, or you and your sister have to spend a weekend at grandma and grandpa's, right? And so whatever situation comes up that stress them out, that freak them out, that get them irritable, whatever that is, then we can start looking at those upcoming things. We want to develop this foresight, right? Kids, a lot of times kids aren't using their past experiences to help with, you know, future behaviors. They're not remembering, oh, last time I freaked out, I got my iPad taken away. Therefore, this time I shouldn't freak out. They don't have that working memory capacity, right? And especially because that amygdala is just taking over. So we're helping them develop that foresight, which is missing. A lot of our kiddos are missing this, right? And so developing that foresight about how kids are going to feel, how they're going to experience that emotion before something even happens, that's really going to be helpful for them to start gaining control of their reactions, not control of their emotions, not getting rid of those emotions, but controlling their reactions. And the more they practice, the easier it gets, right? It's not a one and done deal. It takes a lot of time and a lot of practice every single day. And that's usually a big chunk of the work that I do. I'm asking parents to create structured situations. So like I said, last episode, there is a lot of front loading. Yes, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But eventually we can start backing off. We can start, you know, increasing expectations. And, 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 and now they've learned the skills. Okay. Um, of course they need to have buy-in, right? So we got to make sure whatever we're working on, it's meaningful for them and the outcomes are going to be positive for them. Why am I learning this skill? Why am I practicing this? Why am I letting my sister come and knock my Lego down? It's got to be important for me. So I'll leave it there for today. It's a lot to think about, but it's really, it, 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 the biggest thing is it's the explicitness. We, we can't just tell. We got to really explicitly teach and practice and experience these things. So for this week, I encourage you to pick one behavior to work on and to start doing some discrimination training, right? So discriminating between a helpful response, unhelpful response, and then practicing the, those desired behaviors, the helpful response, right? Um, I, I go into a lot of this in a lot of detail. I mean, the podcast isn't really 
great for the visuals that I have, but I do talk about it in a lot of detail with visuals and how to create that pause in my anxiety mastery training program. Um, I'd love for you to join me if you want to deep dive further in with me, but hopefully this helps give you an idea of the things that you can start doing, even if it's just looking at some videos to start discriminating between some of those behaviors and looking at the pause. Where could have this kiddo stopped to have done a different response? And let's go practice this. So thanks for joining me today. Have a lovely week. Join me next week. I'll continue our summer skill building series. Um, of course, Patreon, there's extra resources there or, or my any of my training programs. I would love to chat or consult with you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Go help make our kids bold and courageous and I'll see you next week.